Hey everyone, and welcome back to your Linux and open source news podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and this is a show where we discuss everything that happened in the Linux and open source world in the past week. So, this time, we've got the Cosmic Desktop Alpha looming over us, planned for around March, and it's looking good. We have the release of the Linux kernel 6.7, which is one of the biggest releases we've seen for Linux in a long while. We have a new SteamOS, well, sort of SteamOS-based device, coming. We have a continuation on the Wayland Breaks Everything saga. We've got the release of Min 21.3, some cool mockups for GNOME, a new stealthy Linux crypto miner, and a lot more. So as always, if you want to dive deeper into any of these topics, all the links are in the show notes. If you want to help support this show, you can also click the links in the show notes. And remember that if you subscribe on Patreon or support the YouTube channel by being a YouTube member, you get a daily show, which is basically the same one as this one, but every day you get a 5 to 10 minute little audio podcast to talk about all of this. So now, let's get started. So, first, the Cosmic desktop is now on tracks for an alpha release. Cosmic is a brand new desktop uh, being developed with Rust. It's made by System76, the makers of Pop! OS, and also a Linux hardware manufacturer. They plan to run it on Pop! OS, but obviously it's open source, so everyone will be able to implement it if they want to. And apparently Cosmic is in its final stretch. What is remaining to implement is just linked to more customization options and fine-tuning the look and feel of the desktop. Obviously, there will be more features coming in the future, but they're really close to a final alpha. They're apparently planning to publish a Pop! OS 24.04 release over the summer, which will run Cosmic by default, and the alpha is planned for the end of March this year. So it's really, it's going to come right after Plasma 6, basically. So yeah, I'm gonna have a lot more work to cover all of that. So, on top of all these fine-tuning changes, apparently Cosmic now has its own terminal app. Uh, it supports GPU rendering, it will support desktop themes, it has syntax highlighting to look better, it also supports left-to-right and right-to-left languages, and a lot more. They also implemented a custom command line utility to configure and handle displays using Wayland, basically like what XRender lets you do on X11, uh, but now it's for Wayland, and this command line utility is the backend that they will use for the graphical settings uh, to configure your displays. Now, in terms of other features that they're working on, but they're not quite sure what will land when, they're building a new screenshot applet to obviously let you take screenshots. They're working on adding hybrid graphics support to their desktop, which is pretty important because System76 does sell a lot of laptops that have a dedicated NVIDIA GPU and integrated Intel or AMD graphics, so they absolutely need that thing to work right off the bat. They're also adding the ability to add a frosted glass effect to your window, so basically transparency with a bit of blur, much like what Windows Vista introduced. Obviously, it's going to be optional, it's a look and feel thing. If you like it, you enable it. If you don't, you don't. Uh, they're also improving the tiling applet, which will provide the same features as what you already know in Pop! OS with the auto-tiling feature, so you can switch between tiling or floating mode and configure that with a handy little applet. 
And other little things include uh, redesigning the on-screen display element. So the little pop-ups that appear when you increase the volume or reduce the brightness or stuff like that. They're working on a new collection of wallpapers because obviously you need some wallpapers. They're implementing the design for the lock and the login screen. Probably this will be here uh, before the alpha release. And they're adding and redesigning a bunch of the settings to be more legible. So as I said, the alpha should be expected at the end of March. The first table release will be in summer, so it's getting really, really close. I will obviously cover this first alpha in a dedicated video. I'll be looking at performance, at gaming, at how it looks, at the default apps and their capabilities, how it integrates apps that aren't made for Cosmic, and basically just looking if Cosmic is a good addition, something that we needed for our Linux desktops, or if it's just yet another desktop that we didn't really need and it's just GNOME plus extensions but started from scratch. It's gonna be an interesting look and it's gonna come right after Plasma 6 so we're gonna have a lot of desktop stuff to cover this year. Now let's continue on the Wayland saga. You might remember the recent post from the KDE team member Nate Graham. Uh, he's the guy who writes basically all the This Week in KDE blog posts and he wrote a blog post very recently saying that no, it's not Wayland breaking things. Wayland is basically a new platform, so it doesn't break stuff. Applications need to be compatible and support it. And in the meantime, you've got X Wayland as your transitional compatibility layer. There's a new entry in that saga. This time it's from Matthias Klump. He's a Debian developer, he's a KD and GNOME member, and he's currently working for Purism. And so he wrote a lengthy blog post saying that, yes, Wayland is inevitable. There's no two ways about it. Wayland is what everyone will be using in a few years. No one is going to support X11. No one is going back to that once Wayland is the default on a distro. And yes, Wayland does remove some features from X11. He argues that these features should just not exist in a compositor. But he also says that Wayland is sort of being used to try and force applications to conform to a specific way, to a specific UX, and to work within a desktop-specific philosophy. I guess he's talking about GNOME here, but like he's not mentioning anyone specifically. He also has an interesting point. He says that porting an app to Linux isn't the hard part. Making your apps work on Linux isn't difficult. It's supporting that app that is, right now at least. But if... At some point, developers have to choose between implementing all the features and the UX they want within X11, because it has all the features, or implementing it in a specifically designed way on Wayland because it lacks certain features, then they're not going to bother at all. And so the problem doesn't become, is porting my app to Linux feasible? Yes, but can I support it? It becomes, I can't really port my app to Linux because Linux doesn't have the protocols that let me make my app work how I want it to work. And so he goes on to list the missing pieces from Wayland, uh, like window positioning and window position saving and restoring. These are things I personally don't care about because I don't use multi-window apps and also all my apps open centered on my display. So remembering the position is a non-issue for me, but I guess a lot of people do want that. And some applications uh, like scientific apps do require having multiple windows positioned in a specific way to not overlap. He also says that individual window icons are missing. I don't think this is a really missing feature because if you open a window from an app, that window should have the apps icon. It should not have 
a specific icon. In terms of legibility, of clarity for users, you should know at a glance which app has spawned which window and what window belongs to what app. So you should not have uh, different icons for different windows of the same app. But maybe some people need that as well. And yes, it is missing compared to X11. Now, the general conclusion is that Wyland forces applications to work in a specific way. It constrains their UX because currently it doesn't have all the protocols you would need to develop, for example, a multi-window app. So how do we evolve this? Because Wyland is everything we will have. It's all we will have. It's what we will all be using in the future. And if we want more apps on Linux and better apps with adequate UX, we need to address these concerns. So basically, there are two choices. Either we decide that, yes, we want the Linux platform using Wayland to be restrictive, we want apps to behave in a specific way on Linux, and we do not want to enable multi-window with window position saving, whatever, applications. This means that we will get less applications, or the apps that we'll get will have subpar UX in, in certain cases. Or we decide that we want to enable app developers to do what they want or what they need to do, but at that point, we need to implement the specific protocols that they need to do that without reproducing how X11 worked. Because how X11 worked was a nightmare, it was spaghetti code, it was insecure and badly designed. So we need to re-implement these features in a more nicer way, basically, in, in a good, solid way in terms of logic and security. Now, the post ends on a positive note. He points out that the vast majority of applications already work perfectly fine on Wayland as it is. A bunch of apps are nearly there. They're not lacking much. But some applications right now, without all this window positioning protocols, cannot work properly on Wayland. And that's definitely an issue. And since we're talking about Wayland, we have good news for Chromium-based browsers. They're going to get much better on Linux for Wayland users because uh, Chromium did not support hardware-accelerated video decoding on Wayland, which meant that playing videos was either super choppy if your CPU was not super powerful or led to way worse battery life because the CPU should not be used to draw things, uh, the GPU should be. And if you don't have hardware accelerated video decoding, your video is being played and rendered using the CPU, which is absolutely subpar. So now the Chromium project and Chrome gained VA API support on Wayland. VA API being an API that lets you do video decoding using the GPU. So video playback will be accelerated for people who move away from X11 in a lot of browsers because Chromium, that's Chrome, that's Chromium and ungoogled Chromium, that's Vivaldi, that's Edge, that's Brave, that's Opera. Basically every single browser apart from Firefox and its derivatives are all Chromium-based browsers. You could already get access to hardware-accelerated video decoding on X11 with any browser. Firefox also supports uh, hardware-accelerated video decoding on X11 and Wayland. But obviously, Firefox is not that popular anymore. It's probably at around 20 to 30% market share on Linux and around 7 to 10% market share all around the world on any OS. So it is good to have that feature for all other browsers that people might be using. And also, if I'm not mistaken, Electron is based on Chromium. 
So maybe Electron apps, if they upgrade to a newer Electron version, will also get hardware-accelerated video decoding, which might make video conferencing apps and stuff like that work much better as well on Wayland. So it's really good news, it's another barrier to Wayland that's being lifted, and it's not too soon, because it does look like by the end of the year there won't be many desktops and distros that will consider X11 as a supported platform. And now we need to talk about this episode's sponsor, and it's Thunderbird. You all know about Thunderbird. It's your mail client, it's your contacts manager, uh, it's your RSS feed reader, and a lot more. And if you used it in the past and didn't quite like it because it hadn't really evolved a lot, uh, you might have seen that they have a brand new release that is like a few months old now, and they completely redesigned the entire user interface. It's super customizable. If you liked the old interface, you can replicate it. If you didn't like it, you can make something way more modern, and it's really, really solid. You still have access to all the extensions, and they're working on building basically an ecosystem around it. They have an Android app coming, which is based on K9 Mail. Uh, they're going to implement at some point a Thunderbird account that lets you sync all your settings or extensions between devices and platforms, all your tags and organization. It's a really stellar email client. It's the one I use right now. I moved from Geary or Kmail, depending on the desktop that I use, to Thunderbird everywhere. I find it really, really good. And so if you haven't given it a shot in a long while, now is the time to try it. There's a link in the description, uh, in the show notes, to download it from Flathub, but obviously from their website or your distro's repos, you'll also find the latest version if your distro isn't too old. So give Thunderbird a shot, and thanks Thunderbird for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Now let's talk about the Linux kernel. Uh, this week we got the release of the Linux kernel 6.7, and it is a giant release. It's one of the biggest we've ever had by comet size, by the number of comets onto the code, but we also have one of the biggest set of changes in terms of features. So first, we gained a new file system called bcachefs. It's meant to be very robust and very reliable. It supports encryption, it supports snapshots, it supports low latency, replication, and copy on write. Basically like file systems like betterfs or, or zfs. bcachefs is still experimental. I am expecting a bunch of benchmarks soon from the likes of Foronix to see how it compares to other options, but it's been described as safer than BetterFS in terms of how it handles its snapshots and the copy operations, and also faster than ZFS. Now, BetterFS also gained some improvements courtesy of Valve uh, in the Linux kernel 6.7. And, very importantly, 6.7 brings the much-awaited update to the Nouveau kernel drivers, meaning that we now support the NVIDIA GSP firmware, which lets the Nouveau drivers change the clock speed of recent NVIDIA GPUs. Previously, they were locked to the clock speed that they had on boot, which was really slow and didn't allow the Nouveau drivers to deliver adequate performance. Now, it's not the case, meaning that depending on how the distro ships the kernel and that firmware, you will be able to get normal performance using the Nouveau drivers. And it also enables NVK, the open source Vulkan driver that is in Mesa, to perform adequately. 6.7 also lets you disable 32-bit emulation on 64-bit kernels. If you don't need that or there's a security issue for you, you can drop that. And the kernel completely dropped the Intel Itanium IA64 architecture because really 
literally no one uses that and it was pretty much unmaintained they're not close to the idea of bringing it back later but for now since no one wants to work on it and it has super low market share it's out now there are also plenty of improvements to kvm for virtualizing more architectures including risk 5 there are improvements to logitech input device support their support for amd seamless boot on more amd hardware and there are a lot of smaller improvements all around so it's an important version because it's the first one in combination with a recent Mesa version that will let people start playing around with NVK and an open source NVIDIA stack. So that's a very, very exciting release to me personally. And I think the new file system also looks pretty interesting. And also we have some details about the Linux kernel 6.8, which will be the next version, and it will get better graphics drivers all around. It gains the new Intel XE kernel driver to have better performance on newer integrated Intel GPUs and on ARC dedicated GPUs. We should also get an open source kernel driver for power VR graphics, which are a very common thing uh, on ARM-based devices. And we should also get the first steps for supporting color management on AMD GPU. So it's really exciting stuff. It's just really great to see that with each kernel version these days, we're getting way better drivers, better performance, a new scheduler, more file systems. It's just going super fast. It is insane. Now, this week also saw the release of Linux Mint 21.3, with the headline feature being the brand new experimental Wayland session. It's the first time Wayland has been available for Mint Cinnamon Edition. Now, obviously, it's going to be experimental. They don't expect that to be the default anytime soon. They're even expecting their next major release to be based on X11 still, and they probably want to move to Wayland in 2026. But it is a strong sign that, yes, even on distros that were very, very conservative about Wayland, X11 is dead. Now, there are also a few interesting additions to the desktop and the distro itself. You can now download a right-click context menu actions for the file manager. So you have sort of an online repo where you can extend the right-click menu to implement more actions in the file manager. That's pretty cool. You also have better power and sound applets on Cinnamon. You have support for more file formats, including the AVIF format all across the desktop. You've got a new touchpad gesture to zoom in and zoom out on your desktop. You now have support for 75% fractional scaling. So if you have a very small resolution, you can still use your computer adequately and a few other little things. The Mint apps also got a few updates, but there's nothing groundbreaking in there, so I'm not going to spend too much time here. Uh, but what's more interesting is that Mint now has a new repo that lets you move to the unstable version of Mint. The repo is called Romeo, and if you move to that, you're basically a beta tester for everything new that will land in Mint soon. So you can test things out and report some bugs. And they also have a new Edge ISO that is planned. It's not out at the time I'm recording this, but this Edge ISO will basically be the regular Linux Mint version, but with a newer Linux kernel, letting you use Linux Mint on newer hardware, because Mint, Mint's main problem has always been that it's based on a very old LTS. So when the new version of Mint releases, it's okay. But as time goes on, it's still stuck to a pretty old kernel 
And this means that you don't have the best experience on modern computers, on more recent computers. So having this Edge ISO with a newer kernel will let you run Mint on any computer you want, which is really cool. So I will give Linux Mint 21.3 a shot next week on the channel. I will probably focus mainly on the Wayland session to see how well that works already, uh, how well it integrates with various drivers, maybe even with the NVIDIA drivers and stuff like that. So stay tuned to the YouTube channel uh, if you want to see that, the link for that channel is in the show notes. Now let's talk a little bit about GNOME. And there are some interesting new mockups being produced from Alan Day. He's one of GNOME's main designers. And these mockups look absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I will skim quickly over the new video player designs. They are just an experiment. They don't necessarily target a specific new application. They're just, hey, if someone wanted to make a new video player for GNOME, here is what it could look like. And honestly, even though they look really good, I'm not a big fan of the entire window being just the video because you have rounded corners, so you're cutting it off a little bit. And also all the elements are floating on top of the video, which I think is not the best experience. Uh, it looks better, but it's not super usable because, well, everything is floating across uh, what you're trying to watch. Not a big fan. Uh, but they're an inspiration. If anyone wants to develop a new video player for GNOME, they can definitely take inspiration from that. Uh, there are also mockups for the system monitor, which are absolutely amazing. Uh, obviously, a, an audio podcast isn't the best way to describe those mockups, so if you want to see them, click uh, the link in the show notes to see them. But yeah, the system monitor is looking really good. It has beautiful graphs on a left side panel that you can click to display the relevant information. So if you click on the CPU graphs, you're going to see all the processes running, for example. It has great spacing. It has nice colors. That's an interface that anyone can understand and pick up in seconds. It's really, really cool stuff. It has sort of a Windows system monitor vibe, and I think it's great because the Windows system monitor is a great application uh, to, to do exactly like monitoring your system. So having that on GNOME would be a nice refresh. The settings also received some mockups from Alan, and these, uh, these mockups are way more grounded because it's work that will likely be implemented in the actual settings app for GNOME. So they are nice looking revamps for the power settings page with a graph to let you know uh, how much your battery has charged or discharged over time. You also have the battery levels for connected devices. There's also a mockup for improved keyboard and regional language settings. There's better app settings with information uh, on whether an application that you're tweaking right now is sandboxed or not. You've got new settings for the click area for touchpads. The location settings now have a map in the mockups to check if a system determined your location correctly or not. And so you can say, hey, no, my current location is this one. It all looks really, really nice. I hope these designs will be implemented in GNOME. I am a big fan of how Libadvita looks and feels. There's a bit too much padding, I would say. Things are a little bit too big, but visually it's a treat, whether you're in light mode or dark mode. And so, yeah, it just looks super polished these days. I think GNOME is the most beautiful desktop environment we have right now on Linux. Obviously, it is very subjective, though. And still on the topic of GNOME, GNOME 46 should land in about two and a half months. And so we saw the release of the alpha of GNOME Shell and of Mutter 46, Mutter being the Wayland compositor and window manager for GNOME. And there are some interesting changes that we can look forward to. So first in the GNOME Shell, the team implemented 
a more advanced profiling system, so they will be able to identify the areas that are bottlenecked and what they need to do to improve the performance of GNOME, which has been a big focus. I think ever since 3.38, they have slowly improved the shell's performance and resource usage to the point that it doesn't really have any memory leaks anymore. It's really, really solid and smooth, and I don't think it uses more resources than Plasma nowadays. But they've also simplified the X11 code of the GNOME shell, they have improved the support for drawing tablets by better supporting various pressure levels, and obviously there are the usual slew of Wayland fixes and improvements, because Wayland is the focus of GNOME, uh, they're already talking about completely dropping the X11 session, so they need to fix the Wayland stuff. There, in the shell, there's also improved icon and text scaling, uh, so the buttons, the icons, and the other GNOME shell elements will now scale alongside the font scaling option. So if you go into the settings, in the accessibility settings, you have a, a font size accessibility slider or, or, or box that you can use to, for example, uh, crank up the, the font size to 1.25%. And this means that if not only the font will get bigger, but also all the GNOME shell elements as well, meaning that you could just not use fractional scaling anymore in a lot of cases, which will save you uh, some battery life, some CPU usage, some GPU usage, it will save you from blurriness as well. Uh, it's really, really good to have that. And Matter apparently also received some work to support variable refresh rate. It's still experimental, some things need work to have a smooth experience, but we could see variable refresh rate landing in GNOME 47, I think, which means less screen tearing and less latency when playing games, because if you don't know basically what variable refresh rate does, is it lets your computer redraw the images at the same rate as the monitor refreshes. Uh, if you don't have that, if for example, a well, at, at the same rate, the app refreshes. So if you have a game that is running, I don't know, at 65 or 45 FPS, but your monitor refreshes at 60, sometimes the frame will miss a cycle. And so either you render part of the frame, which causes screen tearing, or you wait for the next cycle to render the entire frame, which means latency, because the image doesn't follow your movements exactly. So it's important for stuff like gaming, KD already supports that pretty well, and it is good to see that GNOME will get that in the near future. And now we need to talk about security, because there's a new malware in town targeting Linux devices. And I'm saying new, it's not exactly new, it's been around for more than a year, but it's been pretty stealthy, and researchers are now just finding about it. It's a modification of the Mirai botnet that has been around for a while. It's been infecting servers, Linux servers, since 2016 or something. But this new variant is called Noah Bot, and it seems a bit more annoying because it's not used to launch DDoS attacks. It's used to install crypto mining software on your servers or, or Linux computers instead. And I will admit it kind of baffles me because crypto isn't quite what it once was. It's not super profitable. It keeps dropping and dropping in value no matter the currency, so there's got to be more profitable endeavors than that, but I guess when you're not the one paying for the electricity to mine, maybe it makes it more profitable because you're basically creating money out of thin air while someone else is, is burning the juice needed to mine that. Now, 
Noahbot also uses a few techniques uh, to hide the crypto miner. It is compiled using a less well-known C library, which seems to make it harder to detect by antiviruses. It's just identified as a basic Trojan instead of a crypto miner. And it's coded and compiled in such a way that makes it very hard to reverse engineer, so it's hard to fight against. So as always, whether you use a Linux desktop, laptop, server, whatever, Avoid installing stuff that you're not sure about from weird third-party repos, from uh, the Python package repository, from NPM. Be wary of what you're installing. Uh, don't download random executables online and run them. Don't download random app images that you don't trust. Linux is only as secure as what you do with your pseudo privileges. So if you don't want to get infected, uh, don't download anything weird. It's the same reasoning on any operating system, basically. So try to be wary about that uh, while uh, security uh, measures catch up to deal with those things. And now we're gonna have a pretty big gaming focus section. Uh, first, we're gonna talk about SteamOS because SteamOS has been in a sort of weird limbo right now. It's only on the Steam Deck. You've got that open source holo ISO version, which is not official. And no, there's no official ISO for the recent version of SteamOS. You can still download the very old one, but the new one isn't out yet. But Aya Neo has decided to announce a new handheld, Ayaneo being a company that produces a bunch of gaming handhelds in the same vein as the Steam Deck. And their new Next Lite will run SteamOS. But apparently it's not official SteamOS, it's Holo ISO. We don't have all the specs yet, as far as I know, but it's been described as an entry-level device. And so that's probably why it's not running Windows, because if you only have very weak integrated graphics, you don't want to run full-blows Windows 11. And Ayaneo was working on their own distro called Ayaneo OS. It was Linux-based, but maybe they haven't made enough progress for that and they don't want to delay their launch. So apparently they're going with Holo ISO. It is interesting to see SteamOS seeing adoption outside of the deck, but correct me if I'm wrong, as far as I could see, it's not Valve giving them a specific ISO that supports them, it's them using the unofficial Holo ISO, which is the same thing I'm currently running on my own SteamOS console. It's just a, a little desktop tower running Holo ISO. So they're doing the same thing. I'm not sure if it's an official partnership with Valve, probably not. Uh, so maybe it's a sign that we're gonna see more devices running this OS, but I would prefer seeing that as a partnership with Valve and an official ISO for SteamOS that any manufacturer can use and implement and maybe even tweak. I think it is still pretty interesting. It would be pretty incredible if SteamOS or even Holo ISO became the by default gaming OS that gaming appliances ship, uh, whether you're shipping a home console or a handheld, if SteamOS runs on that by default, it's great because it means there are more people using that, game developers need to support it better, and so more games are coming to Linux, it increases Linux's market share, and so it can only benefit everyone. And honestly, SteamOS has the library to back this, this fantasy up, because it has 13,000 officially playable games on the Steam Deck and a lot more than that playable on Linux. So it might very well happen, especially since there are basically no real backwards compatibility issues. 
because all your library is just running on a PC, and so as long as the game supports a recent PC, it's gonna work. So obviously there are going to be some old titles that don't play well, but the backwards compatibility situation is always going to be better than on a home console, which will at some point drop all the titles. You can't expect the PS6, 7, or 8 to still support PS4 games. You can't expect the Xbox whatever releasing in 2040 to support Xbox One games. It's not going to happen. But on a PC, you absolutely can do that unless there's a major shift in the architecture everyone uses if we move from x86 to arm for example so really cool stuff to see i will read a little bit more into it when we get more details to see if it's an official thing but from what i'm seeing it's hollow iso and not SteamOS being used so it's not looking like it's an official partnership with valve now we also have some pretty cool news about NVK, the open source Vulkan drivers for NVIDIA. They're getting a new pipeline shader cache, which means that the driver will be able to reuse the shaders that were already compiled, instead of having to recompile them every time. It's a major part of a solid Vulkan driver, because it means you're going to reduce the load times for games or programs that use Vulkan, and you're also going to reduce the stutters in-game, because your GPU doesn't have to compile as many shaders, and so your gameplay is much smoother. It was something that plagued the launch of the Steam Deck and the launch of Proton because, well, you didn't have that cache at the time on a lot of graphics drivers, and so you had to recompile everything all the time and the experience was bad. Uh, it has been fixed for Intel drivers, for AMD drivers, it has been fixed for proprietary drivers or uh, for NVIDIA, but now the NVK driver also has that, which is really cool. It's one more barrier that is gone from these drivers and I'm really excited to see where they're going and what performance they're going to be able to deliver. And speaking of drivers, we also have the feature freeze for Mesa 24, and it looks like it's going to be another fantastic release for our open source drivers, because NVK is getting many, many improvements in this new Mesa version as well, better performance and that shader cache we've been talking about. We're also getting much better ray tracing performance on AMD GPUs. Uh, the users of Apple Silicon hardware that use Linux with Azahi or Fedora Azahi will get much better OpenGL performance. Uh, still no news on the Vulkan front as far as I could find, uh, but at least you have solid OpenGL support, you have a fully conformant driver, and now performance is better as well. Uh, we're also getting newer OpenGL support for Microsoft's Direct3D12 driver, which is as far as I know, only used by the Windows subsystem for Linux. We've got an open source Vulkan driver for PowerVR graphics, uh, which obviously is going to go uh, in combination with what's coming for the Linux kernel 6.8 with the kernel driver for those graphics. And we're also getting some improvements to Intel's Vulkan driver called ANV. So we should see a release candidate for those new drivers soon. The final release is planned for February, meaning that we will probably see Mesa 24 land in distros like Fedora 40 or Ubuntu 24.04, which is a big plus for people who would like to use an open source stack for their NVIDIA GPUs, because, well, you're gonna get the best NVK has to offer, uh, hopefully. Uh, so this is going to give a pretty good first impression for this new driver, and I'm very excited to try that out in a video to see how it compares with the proprietary NVIDIA driver. So if Fedora 40 or Ubuntu 24.04 ships with Mesa 24 NVK, 
and the kernel 6.7, which uh, probably won't be the case for Ubuntu because they're going to want to use an LTS kernel, so probably 6.6. But Fedora 40 will probably go with 6.7. So with the combination of that and Mesa 24, I will be able to do a few benchmarks and tests on that new uh, open source stack. And that's going to be very interesting. And finally, if you enjoy gaining those free Epic Games every month, you're probably already using the Heroic Games Launcher on Linux. And if you're not, well, you probably should, because if you have Epic Games you want to play, Heroic is the best way to do so. And now it got a brand new update. It now will let you automatically install the tweaks needed from Wine Tricks for each game that needs them. So if you don't know, Wine Tricks is a little program that lets you install a few DLLs and fixes depending on the title. So it installs them in the game's prefix, so it doesn't affect every other game around it. It's just the tweaks needed for one specific application or game. But you had to do that manually, so you had to research online which game needed what to work well and install that manually. Now there's going to be the option to do that automatically. It's experimental, and the Heroic team is building basically a compatibility database listing all the tweaks needed for every game. So basically in just one click you'll be able to install that automatically and not have to worry about researching thing anywhere, which is really, really solid. Heroic also gained a few tweaks to let you open the main window of the app when you're clicking the tray icon. You have better sorting of favorites and games with improvements to the filters that you have in the app. There are some fixes here and there uh, to ensure games work their best, but the main event is definitely those automatically one-trick installation. Because for now, Linux gaming is amazing, but you still have to put more effort into getting something to run than on Windows. A lot of games are just open Steam, enable the compatibility thing just once, and then you click install and you play the game. A lot of games just work like that, you have nothing to do. On other launchers, it's it can be a bit more complicated because implementing Proton is these, in these launchers is harder because it sort of depends on the Steam runtime and a few other things. So generally they are using uh, either Wine or a specific version of Proton, which doesn't come with everything that's needed. And so you have to do some research, you have to look online for what to enable uh, from compatibility databases or install scripts. It does require you to do a bit more work to have a good experience. So if we can lift this this elbow grease thing if people can just click install in the heroic games launcher and run their game and they have the same experience as on windows then that's one more barrier lifted and basically the only one remaining is the anti-cheat stuff which will solve itself as like the games that are popular now drop off and the new ones do support linux with their anti-cheat solution so I think we will probably be very, very fine in the near future uh, with Linux gaming. So this will conclude this episode of the show. As always, if you want to dive deeper into any of these topics, all the links I use to create this show are in the show notes. And if you want to support the show to help me keep making it, there are plenty of links to do just that as well. And do remember, if you become a Patreon supporter or a YouTube member on the YouTube channel, no matter the tier that you choose, you will get this little show, but in a daily format from Monday to Friday, 5 to 10 minutes, uh, and you'll get all these recaps uh, in a nice RSS feed or in a nice playlist uh, that is members only on YouTube. So thank you all for listening, thank you all for supporting the show for those who do, and as always, I guess you will hear me in the next one. Bye!